Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. We're in our third installment, like I said, and uh, I really believe God has a special word for us uh, in mind today. And so I, I want to speak to you from the subject of set apart for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Look at your neighbor and say, now is the time. Look at your second choice and say, you too. Now is the time. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for your grace on our lives. Thank you so much for your presence. Lord, you know my heart's cry in this message. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to catch something that only really you can help us catch. And I pray, God, that you would, uh, you would do something on the inside of us, Lord, that when we leave this place, we, we wouldn't be able to see ourselves we wouldn't be able to see you, and we wouldn't be able to see the world the same. So God, open up our hearts and help us uh, to really encounter you in a real way. God, I pray that your word would penetrate every aspect of our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would guide and direct my mouth, that every word from my mouth would be from your heart. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Well, as I was studying for, for this particular series, I, I couldn't get away from this reality of what God wants to do, not just in us, but what God also wants to do through us. And I started to go back, and anybody ever know that feeling where, where you've had a long day, maybe a little bit stressed, uh, maybe uh, you, you, you worked really hard, maybe in the yard, or, or you got a little bit dirty somehow, maybe just the, the, the day kind of, you know, you just feel a little bit, a little bit cloudy, a little bit mucky, just, and then you jump in the shower. You jump in the shower and you get out and you feel like a brand new person. You feel like God has just revived your heart. You're, you're thanking God for Dove and, and you just feel like you're, you're in a special moment, right? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about spiritually. That when there seems to be a lot of darkness, a lot of decay, a lot of uh, gunk. And all of a sudden God comes and revives our hearts, revives the church. And actually ends up reviving a land. And so I, I want to talk to you a little bit about revival today. And, and big shout out to John Tyson. I'm going to use some of his uh, illustrations and some of his studies on revival um, that I've been studying over this last week. And, and I want to start off with just talking about some moves of God uh, throughout, uh, from the past that I believe God wants to inspire and encourage our hearts. And I want to start with a man by the name of C.S. or by the name of Charles Finney. Charles Finney. Now, Charles Finney was uh, really an evangelist in the, the 19th century, uh, walked closely with God. And I want to read to you a particular moment that he had as he entered into a factory. And I, I want to read this to you. It says this. It says, Charles Finney was a 19th century evangelist who demonstrated God's powerful presence during a trip to New York, uh, to New York Mills in 1826. Finney visited a cotton, fact, uh, a cotton manufacturing plant where his brother-in-law was superintendent. As Finney passed through a spacious room, which many women were working in looms and spinning jennies, he noticed several young women watching him and speaking among themselves. As Finney approached them, they became more agitated. When Finney was about 10 feet away, the women sank to the ground and burst into tears. Soon others were sobbing, overcome with conviction of their sin in the presence of, of the visiting evangelist. 
The Spirit of God's outpouring spread so rapidly throughout the building until the entire factory was singly aware of God's presence. The owner, an unbeliever, realized something unusual was occurring. And so he temporarily closed the plant and asked Finney to preach to his employees and tell them how they might find peace for their souls. Finney had not yet spoken to the, to the laborers. He merely entered the factory and God's powerful presence in Finney's life was too overwhelming to ignore. Could, could you just like, could you just imagine for a moment like walking into Facebook and all of a sudden the presence and the power of God starts to spread throughout that entire place where people are, you know, dropping from their computers and start crying out to God. Could you imagine that happening at Twitter and Yelp and, and just kind of permeating some of these corporations? Wouldn't that be incredible? How about a walk with God like that? Where the presence of God is so rich and so real, so tangible, that, man, you walk into a room and people are just overwhelmed, not with you or your presence, but with God and his presence. So let, let me take you to, to Los Angeles, um, to the Azusa Street Revival. Let me show you a, a gentleman by the name of William J. Seymour. Now, this was a man that was just hungry for God. And, and it, it, was, it was a time where they, they were contending that God would move in a very special way in the city. Uh, they, they, particularly, they were in, um, uh, on Azusa Street, and, and this prayer meeting started in a home. And as they began to pray, God began to do something really special. And this man had a heart that just said, God, we want more of you. And the prayer meeting started just with a small group of people. And then next thing you know, hundreds of people are outside on the doorpost. And the next thing you know, they're moving to a building. And, and then God is moving and sweeping throughout the land in such a powerful way that in a time where racial tension was at an all-time high, every walk of life, nationality, color came up under the banners as if the blood of Jesus just completely washed all of that craziness and nonsense away. Because people started to just get a hunger to say, God, we want you to move in a real way. We're desperate for you. This is probably one of my favorites. Let me show you this. This is a picture of the Hebrides revival that took place uh, off, of the, the, uh, off of the Scotland coast in, in the Isles of the Hebrides. And this happened in 1949, 1952. Two older, older women, uh, they were sisters, 82 and 85, began to get this overwhelming sense of, of desperation because their church didn't have one young person in it. And so they, they thought, man, we're failing to pass the gospel to the next generation. And so they were overwhelmed and burdened that, God, this, this can't be the norm. And so they began to pray. And it was crazy. One of them was completely blind. The other one was crippled with, uh, with, with some type of um, almost like arthritis. So they couldn't even make it to the church, but they stayed home contending. God began to move. They, they started contending from 10 a.m. till 3 a.m. twice a week, just praying that God would move. So long story short, one of these women has a vision of young people flooding the church. And so she calls the pastor and she calls some of the teams. She said, hey, guys, would you join us in prayer? And so long story short, they begin to pray. And all of a sudden, God begins to erupt in this land Unlike anything else. I mean, people are in the streets. They're just walking, falling on their face, crying out to God. Uh, I mean, just it, it, it was miraculous what was happening. In fact, there was this one young man 
who, who was praying at the church during this time, he began to pray and he said, Lord, would you save my generation? And, and at that moment, there was about 100 kids at a dance. Man, the spirit of God swept through that dance. They all ran from the dance hall, ran to the church on their face, crying out for mercy. Just an incredible move of the spirit of God. It was so powerful that um, the, the gentleman who was invited to kind of come and preach and, and pray for people and, and, uh, and almost establish some teams because so many people were coming to Jesus, he said 75% of the people gave their heart to Jesus before I even came. There was no altar calls. There was, there, was, there was none of that. It was just the spirit of God sweeping throughout the land. So I started to... To think about, let me show you a picture of this church in Barvis where this all began. Just a small little church. Small church with people with a, a, a huge burden and a great vision for God to do something incredible. And I just wonder in our day if we really believe that God can move like he did in some of these days. Like God, could you really move and sweep across our city? I mean, many of you guys may not know, but our city alone, Pleasanton, 98% unchurched. There's only 4,000 church seats when it comes to Bible teaching churches, and not all of them are filled. The Tri-Valley, 95% unchurched. I mean, God, could, could, you, could you do something like that again? And so if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. I just really have a question for us today. Do you think God can do that today? Do you think that God can move in a way that would change the very landscape of this Bay Area. You know, I, I started to, to, to do a little homework when it comes to revivals and, and kind of the, the progression of what seems to take place um, before this, this thing kind of erupts. And, and I want to show you, it, it starts off with salvation. Now, this is where you and I experience personal revival, meaning we come to the knowledge of Jesus. Somebody may be preaching or telling us about, um, about the good news of Jesus, about the cross, about that he died for our sins, um, raised on the third day. All of a sudden, we put our faith in Christ, and a personal revival starts to happen on the inside of us. We go from darkness to light. Um, we go from this place of being blind to being able to see clearly. And all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're just overwhelmed as the Spirit of God illuminates our hearts and our minds to the beauty of Jesus. And then from salvation, personal revival starts to happen in our life. And then it, it transitions to restoration. It goes from salvation to restoration. And God begins to restore stuff in our life. He begins to repair relationships. He begins to take some of the things that the, the devil meant for harm and work them for good. All of a sudden, we find ourselves... Um, in moments where we're asking for forgiveness, where we find ourselves moving towards people that we once hated to reconcile. And God just begins to restore things around us. There's just this season of restoration. God begins to show us some new things and begin to reveal to us where we've blown it and areas that he wants to make right. And from this place, it leads to transformation. Now, transformation is, is this moment where, man, you've experienced Jesus in a very real way. He has saved you. You've crossed from darkness to light. That eternal void in your soul is filled. God begins restoring some things in your life. Some, some, some habits are, are, are falling off and some old patterns and old ways of thinking and doing things are, are being left behind. And then this transformation starts to happen where we become so aware 
of of his word, we become so aware of God's presence and, and we start to see that, man, many of our old ways and habits and patterns were completely just dysfunctional and messed up and God begins to transform us in a re- very real way. It's, those, it's, it's almost in this, in this season where it can become a fight because we're, 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 we find ourselves in this moment where we're just blown away by the beauty of Jesus, yet at the same time, we're still wrestling through different struggles and we're wrestling through different temptations and, and we're fighting this fight and God begins to transform us from the inside out. And, and then from here, when that begins to happen in a church, then we start to go to what's called renewal. A renewal is where just start, there's just this sense of movement again. Like in a place or in a church where maybe there wasn't a whole lot of movement, all of a sudden, man, you can sense the presence of God and people are getting saved and lives are changing. Generations are coming uh, to know Jesus. And it's been pretty exciting because I think we've been kind of on the, the cuffs of renewal here where people step into this place and they sense the presence of God and there's something different and God is doing something here. And, and there's just a sense of movement. There's, there, there, you know, people are getting saved, the church is growing, life is happening. And, and, and then from this place of renewal, it, we transition to this place called revival. Now, revival, I, I heard one person say it like this, the church has been in such decay in America, we've mistaken renewal for revival. Because when revival happens, all of a sudden it's like an acceleration. Jonathan Edwards says an acceleration of the spirit of God. What took 20, you know, the amount of people that got saved in 20 years are now getting saved in two weeks. It's just this undeniable move of God throughout the land or throughout the church. And and people are, are coming and people are getting saved and lives are changing. And then from here it goes to uh, what scholars would call awakening. And awakening is where now it begins, what's happening in the church begins to spill out into the world. And so it, it would kind of look like this. Let me show you this, this breakdown. This, this portion is personal. Then that transitions into the renewal and revival that happens in the church. And then from there, awakening, it begins to permeate the culture. And the region is never the same. And so, so for you and I, listen, in our day, in the time that God has called us here in, in this time, we have to be contending for awakening. We have to contend that God would do something in this land. Because let me, let me bring you back to, to, to a couple of the slides that I showed you in, our, in the first installment of this message. And again, Barna came out, research group, with these stats, 2017. The top most unchurched cities and the most de-churched cities. Let me tell you again, unchurched simply means that people have not stepped foot in a church in the last six months. D-church means they used to have somewhat of a faith and they've drifted away. And at the top, the number one D-church and unchurched areas, San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose. And I, yes, praise God for that. And I say that because a lot of times we look at this and it's, it's like, man, again, we live in, some, in a dark area. We, there's so much need And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, there is so much opportunity. Because, listen, revival never comes where it's not needed. Revival comes when dead things are are present that need life again. Are you tracking with me on that? See, revival is when God brings dead things back to life, when he breathes on things that are dead and they live again. 
And so the, the darker and the deader it looks, the more prime we are for revival. One statistic came out and said that we're going to lose 14 million millennials before we can blink our eyes when it comes to the church. And then they followed the caption with, what an opportunity. What an opportunity that you and I have. Because the darker it is, the more dead it looks, the greater opportunity for revival. So, so we're, not, we're not living in, in a, a boring place when it comes to the church. We are living in one of the most, excited, most exciting places on the planet with the greatest opportunity to see the gospel shine so bright in the midst of darkness. That listen, you, me, this church, this region, this Bay Area, it's never going to be the same. Because we're contending for that reality. And we're believing that God, man, God loves this Bay Area. God loves this city. God loves this region. So I'm super pumped. In fact, uh, Habakkuk had a, a similar experience. The prophet Habakkuk, he was in a place where it was similar to ours, where they had heard of revivals in the past of God doing great things, but all of a the sudden they found themselves in, in a place where it was spiritually dead and dry. And I love what Habakkuk said. Look what he says in Habakkuk chapter 3. He says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. He said, Lord, I've heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known, and in your wrath, remember mercy. I think it's incredible because he had heard of everything that God had done in the past. Meaning they had just come off of this incredible revival under King Josiah, which as a, as a young king discovered the Bible, discovered the book of the law, opened it up, began to actually read it and realized that, Whoa, we look nothing like God has called us to look. We look nothing like God has called us to be. And so, man, he became super convicted and he, he repented first as the king, and then he began to go throughout the nation and just say, hey, guys, we, we've missed it. And we got to get back to the true and living God. We got to destroy these idols. We got to get rid of all this junk. And we got to get back to the living God. And as a result of that, revival swept through the land. And then when the Babylonians took the, the people of Israel captive, there was these three young men that, that many people have heard of. Even if you're, you don't go to church, maybe you've heard of these three uh, young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There were these three kids that, that basically were, were told to uh, bow down to this golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had, had set up. And they refused. They said, sorry, man, we, we only bow down to the one true God. We're not going to do that here. And, and, uh, and so he said, well, if you don't, I'm, you're going to get executed. I'm going to throw you into the, this, this huge furnace where, where they would do executions. And so they said, listen, I'm sorry, but we're not going to bow down to your image. Our God is able to rescue us, but even if he doesn't, it's all good uh, because we're still not going to bow down to your image. And people wondered, like, man, what made these guys so courageous? Well, these guys were immersed in that revival. And they came out of that thing like, they came out of that ready to go. And so Habakkuk is saying, man, Lord, man, I've heard of some of those great things you've done before. Could you do it again? I mean, I want you to think right now of the areas of your life that are dead. Maybe some dreams that, that have just been eradicated. Maybe, maybe a, a relationship that, that is completely dilapidated. 
Maybe there's just some areas in your heart that you feel like can never live again. Maybe there are certain things that even now as I'm speaking, those dead things are coming to your mind. Do you believe that God can do it again? Now, God's ways are not our ways, and, and, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But do you believe that no matter what you're facing, God could revive your heart in such a way that it doesn't matter? Do you believe that God can do it again? See, I, I think the, the key here that I want to lean into is it was a prayer of Habakkuk. We talked about in the first installment that all these great moves of God, and even in the midst of great persecution, have always begun and have been sustained with prayer. And so I was, as I was preparing this, I went back and I remember when I was living like hell. Like, I, I, I'm, if you were to see me in my past, there's no way that you would say, oh, yeah, pastor, for sure. Like, you would have thought the complete opposite. You would have been like, man, that kid is headed for death or prison. But I had a mom when I would wake up in the morning contending for her sons. I'd peek in her room. She'd be on her knees like, you're not getting my son. I'm praying for my son. I'm praying for my kids as I'm leaving to go live a life of crime and rebellion and wanting nothing to do with God. But she never quit. And, and when I ended up trusting Jesus, I was at a church service just like this, and I remember the, the person who was speaking, he was a traveling evangelist. He, he said, young man, he called me out, and I, I was so embarrassed, and I'm like, why did you do that, bro? Don't, don't do that. And he said, man, two weeks ago that bullet was meant for you, but God has spared your life, and there's no more running from God. And I was floored because I'm in, I'm in St. Louis. I'm in a totally different state. I'm like, how do you know what happened in Fremont, man? Like, who are you? And I was so messed up. I'm like, are you FBI? Like, who? who are, I know we're under investigation, but St. Louis, a pastor. I was just really confused. So I, I go back to my seat. There's this little old woman. And many of you guys know the story, but, but just the joy in her face that was so tangible. And so instead of going back to my seat, I went to her and I said, lady, I don't know what you have, but that's what I want. And she just smiled and she prayed with me and my life was never the same. But from that moment, I, I began to get this hunger. I never read a book in, in school, like from zero to 12, except Super Fudge in the fourth grade. That was it. And I remember, I remember I just started to have this hunger to know him. I started to open up the Bible, but then I, I started, I was just hungry. I was like, I got to know. I'm all in. Like something is happening on the inside of me. It was so real. I got scared. I'm like, am I being brainwashed? What's happening here? Like this is real. And I found this book by Andrew Murray called Absolute Surrender. I had no idea who Andrew Murray was. I'm a punk kid fresh off the street. I pick up this book and I say, that's what I want. I want to be all in. So I read this book. Long story short, on the back of this book, there's a list of different authors. Authors like Charles Spurgeon and Charles Finney and Smith Wigglesworth. And, and I didn't know who any of these people were. And I just began to read about revival. And it just dawned on me as I was preparing for this message, I thought, man, None of that was by accident. I said, God, I need you to resurrect some things in my heart again. Because I believe that we've heard of your fame, but you want to do in our day. And it may look different. It may not be. You can't replicate revival. But whatever that is or whatever that looks like in our day and our time, God, that's what I want. 
But it started, my transformation started with my mom on her knees. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so, so as, we, as we look at that, I, I think all of us would say, man, God, we would love for you to do something like that in our homes, in our hearts, in, in our cities, in our region, in our, in our workplace, in our schools. Come on, somebody. And I just wonder if we've forgotten that God is able to still do that. And I mean, I got to be honest with you. Like, this isn't like the most popular stuff to preach in church. Like, I, I, you, you know me. Like, I could preach a message that, you know, that would laugh and be some practical things. And all that stuff is necessary, and we're about that. But if we miss this, we miss everything. And I'm committed to you to preaching the full word of God. And I really believe this is a word from God for our, in, in this season for such a time as this, that God has set us apart for such a time as this. And so, so let me just give you a couple of things that, that I believe kind of precede revival or move us to that place. Like I said, my mom was in prayer, unwavering. And it's a great picture of this. Revival begins, if you're taking notes, jot this down. When our discontent turns to a decision. There's a lot of people that are discontent in life. Oh, I'm discontent with my marriage. I'm discontent with being single. I'm discontent with my health. I'm discontent with working out or my, my fitness. I'm discontent. But many of us aren't discontent to the point where it crystallizes to a decision. And so we walk around and it's like, man, it's so dark in this world. Dang, the most unchurched region. Why even go to church, right? And we find ourselves discontent with all of these things, the moral decay, the lack of power, the lack of all these things in the church. And then we look outside of the church and in our lives and in our homes and we're just discontent. I'm just, uh, 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 uh. But many of us, we're not discontent enough. We're not sick and tired of being sick and tired. Because when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it, it starts to move you towards a decision. So, so in this particular, in the Hebrides revival, these two women were like, we're done. We're, we're making a decision. There's no young people in this church. This church needs to be flooded with young people. So they decided to pray twice a week from 10 to 3. They made a decision. I said, we're done. Their discontent turned to a decision. I think about, I think about Esther in, in the Old Testament. There was a time where this man by the name of Haman wanted to destroy all of the Jews. And Esther is in a prominent position. She's living in luxury. She's, you know, uh, she's queen. And she has access to the king, to the palace. She's living unlike she had ever lived before. Grew up in poverty. Now she's in the palace. And, and so this guy by the name of Haman wants to eradicate the Jews. And so long story short, he, uh, he word gets out to her cousin Mordecai. And Mordecai's like, man, this guy's about to wipe us out. And Esther's like, listen, man, like I can't go to the king. Like the cost is super high. You can't just go to the king and not be put to death. I just, I don't think that's a great idea. And so he sends word back and he says, listen, if you don't step to the plate, God's going to bring, look what he says. Let me just show you what he says. He says this, if, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And so Esther ponders this and her discontent of what's getting ready to happen turns to a decision. And look what she decided. It says, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights, day or night, 
my maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, then I must die. She went from discontent to a decision. I, I remember my mom and this whole process, her job was getting transferred from here to St. Louis. And, we, and she was really praying, should I do this? I have to leave my kids. I have to leave all my comforts. I have to leave, I have to go to the snow. Right? She's by myself. And she said, I just felt like the Lord told me, yes, I need to go. And I, I, I didn't even care. I'm like, yeah, go. It's awesome. I'm staying here. I belong in the Bay Area. I don't belong in St. Louis. And little did my mom know that that was going to be the place that God would get a hold of my heart. But it cost her something. And so whenever we go from discontent to decision, there is a price to pay for revival. It's going to cost you your time because you're going to have to get on your face and cry out to God. It may cost you some popularity and some of your comforts. But can I just tell you, it's also going to be like the most incredible journey ever. And so the, the, the cost of, of not seeking God is far greater than the cost that we'll pay seeking him. And what God does on the inside of us in the process, you, there's nothing like it in the world. Nothing like it in the world. But our discontent has to move to a decision. Secondly is this, is we have to stop praising the problem and start praying the promise. I, I think so many times, oh, my goodness, the, big, the most unchurched area in the, in the region, whoo, wow, ah. Oh. Man, you don't know how messed up I am. You don't know how messed up my family is. You don't know. And it's just so easy, without even being intentional, we begin to stand in awe of the problem. We begin to lift up and praise the problem. I think in the church, it, it kind of translates a little bit different. I think we praise the, the potential rather than pray the promise. I mean, we praise the potential of, man, God could do it. I ain't praying, but God could do it. I know God can. I don't got time to pray, but he can. And so we praise the potential of what God could do, but we don't pray the promise. And so in, in this, this, this Hebrides revival, this is, is so important in any revival that we begin to pray the promises of God. Because how many of you guys know discontent can also lead you to weird. <laughs> like, like people who are discontent, they start cults. People who are discontent hurt people. That, that's why I love this passage in Psalms 119. Look what it says. It says, I am exceedingly afflicted, Lord, most unchurched region, but revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Not according to weird, according to your word. Church people can get weird. You guys know that, right? But according to your word, it has to be anchored in your word. And so in this Hebrides revival, they got a word from the Lord from Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, that says that you will pour water out upon the thirsty and upon the dry land. And they just began to contend. They got a hold of that promise, and then they said, guess what? We're going to start to pray that promise. And we're going to start to believe God that he's going to do that in this land. And we're going to pray night after night, two days a week from 10 to 3. We're just going to contend and storm heaven and see what God does. So I started to reflect on, 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 on this revival 
And God brought me back to the word that he gave us when we first came here four years ago. And I was super convicted. Let me, let me share the word. It's Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. God says, for I'm about to do something new. Steve, I've already begun. Do you not see it? And this is so incredible. We're living in such a time where, again, I'm all about systems and strategy. You know me. I'm a very practical dude like that. But we're living in such a day where God is saying, I will make the pathway. And I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And this is the word that God gave us when we first came. It was so overwhelming. Our, our student, now remember, when we first came here, we only had three weeks from the time we found out to the time we jumped. No team, no vision, no money, nothing. We just jumped. And God gave us this word. And one of our students wrote, I feel like this is from Jesus. And she gave us the scripture. And then we got a plaque as we were transitioning from my mom with this passage. And then our district supervisor had no idea the first passage he preached on our first day of installment was this passage. And we were overwhelmed, like, God, this is a word for our church. But up to this point, I've praised the potential. But I haven't been praying the promise. And so I repented this week and I said, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. You've been doing an incredible work here in our church. And Lives are changing, and it's awesome, but I've been praising the potential of this. I haven't been standing on your promise. And it was crazy because in, in this revival in the Hebrides, one guy, he was a blacksmith. He got up, and he said, Lord, he's just, you know, kind of frustrated. We're praying. What's up? Where are you? Where's this water? And he says, Lord, your honor's at stake, not ours. He said, Lord. As far as I can tell, we're thirsty. And as that man began, as that man finished his prayer, the Spirit of God shook the place, they said, and people out in the streets just began to fall on their knees under conviction. Like, what? Because God, we're going to pray. We're not, we're not going to praise the problem. We're not even going to praise the potential. We're going to pray your promise and watch what you will do. We're going to pray your promise. And the last one is this. And I'm going to do a part two of this in two weeks. So you got to come to church or you're going to miss like, you're going to miss it. The last one is this. Is we go from praying the promise to broken over the world's sin to broken over my sin. This tends to be the progression of revival. It goes from discontent to decision. And then we get a word from God and we're like, man, we're going to pray. We're going to watch God do something amazing. And God says, yeah, that's right, but I'm going to do something in you first. I want to bring revival to your heart first. This is where God begins to expose our hypocrisy. Everything we're so disturbed and so upset at the world about, the Lord said, yeah, some of that's in your heart. Let's get it out. Let's purge it. Let's wash it clean. And I love what A.W. Tozer said. He says it this way. He says, our mistake is that we want God to send revival on our terms. We want God to get the, we want to get the power of God into our hands, to call it to us that it may work for us in promoting and furthering our king of Christianity. We want to still be in charge, shouting glory to God, but modestly accepting a share of the glory for ourselves. 
calling on God to send fire on our altars, completely ignoring the fact that they are our altars and not God's. And so God begins to do something on the inside of us. And and in, in this revival, in this moment, this young man gets up and he has this, this revelation as he read this passage. Let me show you. He read this passage in Psalm 24. It says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. So he reads this and he says, well, how do I even know if i am got clean hands? If I'm a vessel that God could really use. And so he throws his hands up and he says, God, do I have a clean heart? God, do I have clean hands? And he dropped to his knees. And he just began to cry out to God. And then almost like domino effect, everybody else just started dropping to their knees. Listen, not only did it, it affect that room, but it was at this time in the revival that people's lights in the middle of the night just started going on all over the city overwhelmed with the awareness of an eternal reality. I mean, think about that for a minute. These guys are just in a little prayer meeting. God, they begin to repent and cry out to God. And the land just starts being affected. I mean, think about that. 75% of the people gave their life to Jesus before anybody preached a message. Do you believe God could do it today? Do you believe God could do it in our day? I remember uh, recently I went to go see one of my favorite preachers. And uh, we were at the Father's house in Vacaville. Shout out to Dave Patterson. Love that man. And I was just going like, he's my favorite preacher. I didn't know that God was going to mess me up that night. And after he gets done preaching, we come to the altar and this little kid just starts praying for me. And I'm just overwhelmed and I just start repenting. I don't even know what I was repenting from. It was just the, the sweet kindness and the presence of God was so overwhelming. It was just like all the impurity, all the junk, all that just started coming out like, God, I'm sorry. I know I, I shouldn't have done that. I mean, just the littlest of things. Right? It was just this, this overwhelming sense of God. And there's just this little kid praying and going for it. And I just thought, man, we have a generation that is in desperate need of the good news of Jesus. God forbid that we have ever become a church in Barvis where there's no young people in this place. So I'm asking you something very simple. The word that God gave us is for our church. Not for me, not for Jack. It's for our church. Not this building. For you. That word is for you. That God wants to bring rivers in the wasteland. He wants to bring life to those dry and dead places. 
And so this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm just asking you to pray the promise with us. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. We, we have a very generic piece of paper that we're going to give you on the way out. I don't even care that it's generic because I just need you to get it in your hands. I need you to look at it every day. And I want you to say, no longer am I going to praise the promise. No longer am I going to praise the potential. I'm going to begin to pray the promise over my heart, over my home, over my city, over my job, over my area of influence. God, I'm going to begin to pray your promise because we're not going to be ones. Hey, listen, God can do what he wants to do, but we're not going to be a church that just sits by and just watches the fact that we are in the most unchurched area and don't do anything about it. Like, if, 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 if anything, it says that, man, that church went out praying, contending, fighting the good fight. Because, as Nehemiah said, our homes, our kiddos, this generation, our cities, our regions, they're worth it.